thought of every possible way. Here in the Caymans, in Washington, that's all I've done. Try to think of a way out. If we run, they find us, and it gets Ray killed. Welcome to Cruising It, the podcast where we watch and discuss all of Tom Cruise's films in chronological order. I'm your host, Donovan Bruce, and with me as always is Andrew Mount. It's not sexy, but it's got teeth. And Mason Kuznich. Mm-hmm. On today's episode, we're talking about The Firm, a legal thriller. That's a thriller. <laughs> thriller. Right? Yeah. yeah. Following a new lawyer mm-hmm. who joins a firm with a sinister dark side. What did you guys think? Should it be illegal to call something a thriller if two out of three of us fall asleep in the middle of it? <laughs> it's all. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Uh, also, barely even all that legal. Like, that was kind of, the, know, one, right? of the main, one of the plot points at the end. And I guess the general I mean, setting. It's but at a law firm, so and everyone in there is lawyers. Yeah. It's so like a thriller legal. with legal aesthetics, you know. Yes. But it's not. It's not a legal thriller. Oh, it's not like Aaron is, Brockovich is, is going <laughs> and gathering evidence and trying to, you know, win a court case or something. Maybe it's just. I haven't seen Aaron Brockovich. I assume she does those things. Maybe it just means it's legally considered a thriller. Like it's technically a thriller. What makes it like a thriller? The very basic. I don't know. Can it be really boring and still be a thriller? <laughs> I guess it's just a bad thriller at that point because I mean, there's no thrills. Yeah, can it be not scary and be horror? Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just part of the bad thriller genre. I mean, maybe I, it's fulfilling the promises of its genre. I mean, <laughs> I considered the the novel to be a thriller, but the novel was actually good. Oh, did you read it? I did. I always feel like I'll, I'll like John Grisham books because I like thrillers and I like legal procedurals. And I'm like, what is John Grisham if not those two things put together? But I can See, never finish the books. Here's another thing with the book, and maybe it's just because you have more time in a book. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more of the legal proceedings. That's there was good. A, there was a lot more showing him working his way up through the company while studying for the bar exam and helping out the partners and passing the bar and moving up to be an associate and all that stuff before any of the thriller stuff really starts happening. Like they, they hint at it and then they hit you full force with it in the second half of the book movie. They probably felt like they didn't have time for it. Yeah. He's like, he's like there for like a long they dragged everything out. Yeah. He's like there for, he's like there for like a day. And then, oh, that guy died, and it was shady, and oh, we're yeah, going to figure out. Yeah, out that it's evil really early on, yeah. and there's still like an hour and a half to the movie after that. Yeah. yeah. This is a long movie. suspicious explosions around here. This is like a two and a half hour long movie. Good God. I feel like you could get an hour out of it easily. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I loved it. Eight out of ten. Oh. <laughs> It was I feel like that's not true. Remember last I was listening to the last episode and I was like, <laughs> I'm so excited for the firm. <laughs> it was so wrong. Uh, how little you knew that a few yeah. good men was gonna be so much better than the firm. That was a legal yeah. thriller. Yeah. All right, it now, was. now to be fair To be fair. To be fair. Uh was that an impression of something? <laughs> it was from Letter Also from that show you don't <laughs> watch. Damn it. <laughs> But no, so a lot um, of the podcasts that I listen to, they make letter kidding jokes to each other. We're all like Pitter Patter is one of the ones that I've picked up. I'm like, I get it now. That's a letter kidding reference. Everyone uh-huh. watches it but me. Uh-huh. I feel like you should watch it just I so you understand podcast podcast. I'm references. cruising through two cruising. <laughs> I'm, I'm cruising through uh, two seasons of Downton Abbey right now, so I'll be ready for the movie. Even though I gave up on that show five years ago. So. <laughs> Fair enough. If you want me to watch your TV show, then make a movie of it that looks good and make it British. 
Yes, and well, we don't need to talk about Downton Abbey here. <laughs> hey, can we not? <laughs> but seriously, how could you seat a singer right oh next God. to Lord Grantham and with a duchess in the room, no less? Were they below mm-hmm. the salt? Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Are there no standards in the world anymore? I mean, the, the Lord of the Abbey can't even, uh, oh my God. can't even get the trains to wait anymore so he can this is why have, we have no more time to say goodbye to Lord Gillingham. <laughs> I don't know. This is compelling, I think. It's all it? my doubting heads out there. <laughs> can y'all tell how excited we are to talk about this movie? We're talking literally talking about a tv show that only one person here has seen it's a really fun tv show (laughs) you feel guilty watching it because you start rooting for the rich people after a while (laughs) it's like a show that's about rich people but it's not like succession about how shitty they are it's like oh look how cool their dresses are Mm. look at how hard it is for them to get along in a changing world all of my basic assumptions about the show were correct but what (laughs) if it's like but what if i want to eat the rich they're well i they probably wouldn't let you do that uh they're pretty progressive (laughs) rich people i don't think they're that progressive um but uh they i feel like like four times this season that i'm watching they've already been like oh it's so hard to get servants now because the aristocracy is declining for some reason for some reason yeah we don't have as many butlers as we used to well, okay, let's go into our getting our discussion of the thing we actually watched, The Firm. Mitch McDeer, played by Tom Cruise, is a young man from an impoverished background, but with a promising future as a lawyer. About to graduate from Harvard Law School near the top of his class, he receives a generous offer from Bendini, Lambert, and Locke, a small boutique firm in Memphis specializing in accounting and tax law. He and his wife, Abby, move to Memphis, and Mitch sets to work studying to pass the Tennessee bar exam. Avery Tolar, played by Gene Hackman, one of the firm's senior partners, becomes his mentor and begins introducing Mitch to BLNL's professional culture, which demands complete loyalty, strict confidentiality, and a willingness to charge exceptional fees for their services. Seduced by the money and perks showered on him, including a house, car, and his student's lo- student loans paid off, he is at first totally oblivious to the more sinister side of his new employer, although Abby has her suspicions due to the firm's desire for stability in the family. Okay, so I'm going to say I actually thought this movie started off pretty strong. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of this stuff was pretty, you know, generic, standard, whatever. You're getting out of college, finding your first job, like that. A lot. I've seen, I guess, a few movies that start off kind of this way with the whole aspirational thing, but they do a really good job of making the firm seem like something's off. Like something's very off, something weird and honestly almost cultish at the start. Yeah, and it, it kind of starts out at the right pace, you know, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, some of the pleasure uh, you were, t- I don't remember, well, it was probably on Mike that you were talking about the book, right? Um, yeah. The book spent a lot more time on, you know, him actually getting into the legal world and getting into um, the firm. And that's kind of the fun part of John Grisham's books is, you yeah. know, yeah. being. Which, I mean, I guess he does kind of talk about, and Mitch and Abby kind of talk to themselves about, you know, well, it's, a, it's really weird that the firm's doing this. Like, why would this why would this firm offer me so much money right out of school? Why would this firm give us a house and a car? Like, this just seems so weird. But the but, firm likes but, you to have but, kids. But all they but all they did, they just kind of brushed it off, and they're like, well, maybe we maybe our luck's finally turned around, and we just yeah. 
Yeah, maybe it's just because you're a really promising corporate tax lawyer, whatever. Biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment of this movie. It didn't turn out to be some kind of demonic satanic cult. Mm. Yeah, I thought that we were watching that. Um, shit, I just forgot both of their names. Keanu Reeves and the guy from The Godfather. Somebody help me out, please, God. Al Pacino. Oh, I'm flailing on Mike. Okay, Al Pacino. Pacino. Yes, Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocate. There we go. We did it. <laughs> it was a perfectly landed joke. Everybody, move on. It was funny. No need to think about it anymore. Don't dwell on this, please. Listen, Gosh, like if you hadn't gone now. on, it could have been cut, so it seemed okay. <laughs> and now it's in there forever. I quit the podcast. <laughs> walk, 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 walk. Creak. Slam. Hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> Mitch passes the bar exam and begins working long hours that put a strain on his marriage. Working closely with Tolar, Mitch learns that most of the firm's work involves helping wealthy clients hide large amounts of money in offshore shell corporations and other dubious tax avoidance schemes. While on a trip to the Cayman Islands, Mitch listens to Tolar talk to client Sonny Caps about taxes and hears Caps state how the firm's clients in Chicago break people's legs. Later on, Mitch is seduced by a local woman and cheats on Abby. Unbeknownst to Mitch, this encounter has been arranged by the firm's sinister security chief, Bill DeVasher, who later uses photos of Mitch's beach tryst with the woman as blackmail to keep him quiet about the firm's questionable, even illegal activities. I don't know why. I always enjoy seeing Wilford Brimley. I think it's the mustache. It's almost definitely the mustache. I mean, he's very good (laughs) at what he does. Take that for what you will. I love this Caps character that they talk to <laughs> because I'm always a fan of movies not telling you everything up front, so I appreciate that he's obviously a mafia guy, but they don't quite say it out loud. <laughs> but at the same time, he's like, oh, I gotta do some business for the family, and I gotta go break some legs for our friends. Yeah, they're from Chicago. In the mafia. They're I'm from Chicago. But I'm not in the mafia. In, I'm in the garbage legs. business. <laughs> yeah, if you're from Chicago, hey, this guy? If you're from hey. Chicago and you speak with oh. a thick New York accent... And break people's legs, they're probably in the mob. Oh, this is offensive to Italians. <laughs> Italian-Americans, probably, more so than Italians. Yeah. One dead. Anyway. Well, anyway, we should get rid of Columbus Day. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, that's going to that's gonna be what really alienates the, uh, our Italian listeners, not the... Defensive stereotypes we do. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I also like, by the way, that Mitch learns about their work involving, you know, shady activities, illegally hiding money, f- you know, from tax laws. So every tax attorney doesn't do that. But then, yeah, exactly. But then he successfully makes the pitch to the mafia guy. And only later is he extremely alarmed. By- <laughs> <laughs> is he ever, like, morally super against what they're doing or is it more that he's afraid he's gonna get killed uh you know like it seems to like as as the movie goes on it seems to make it out to be like oh he's kind of against it that they're so tied to the mob like that's kind of like the big scare point he's kind of figured out in this scene right but like yeah and uh, on the other hand like he definitely seems worried or concerned about that but it may it may just come from the fact that they're clearly killing attorneys. Uh, that's true. Maybe that's it, is once the attorney murder happens. Or maybe he's just really passionate about mail fraud. No one leaves the firm. Spoiler alert. Do they say that? Do they say no one leaves the firm? It's something along those lines. That's sketchy. 
If there's one thing I've learned from The Wire, a series which I assume is 100% completely true to life, mm-hmm. it's that uh, you can get away with a lot of crime if you just don't let the bodies pile up. So maybe don't kill these attorneys. Just let people leave the firm. Sure. You know, that would probably help. Yeah, you probably have enough money to do well for yourself in the justice system if they try to come after you. But they're leaving. They have lots of friends that you can bribe. They're leaving with they're client literally secrets. literally a law firm. They're leaving yeah. with client secrets, which they still can't share because it's still legally protected and attorney-client privilege and all that shit. But, you know. Yeah, you don't have to kill them. Kill them. You're, I don't know. I was about to go off on a rant about Angel Has Fallen, but we don't need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Butler and his sexy body. That's sexy. <laughs> you know, okay, no, no, no. Let oh me, okay. Mason, <laughs> God damn it. So two things about Angel Has Fallen that I, one that I, one that is a criticism and one that I appreciate. The criticism is that they frame him for trying to kill the president. Yeah. And then they break him out of the, the bus that's taking him to prison. Why would you do that? You just let him go to prison. You successfully framed him with DNA evidence. You played yourself. Um, so that's the thing. You, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't kill the attorneys. Just let them leave the firm. Uh, the good thing is that a significant part of his character is that he keeps going to the doctor, and the doctor's like, dude, you have so many concussions, you have got to stop this. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I appreciate it. This is like in the third Die Hard movie where they're like, John McClane, your body is falling apart. <laughs> anyway, go on. All right. Uh, Mitch realizes he is now trapped, but after he learns four associates of the firm died under mysterious circumstances, he hires private investigator Eddie Lomax played by Gary Busey, to learn the truth. Lomax is shot in his office, which his secretary, Tammy, witnesses. Mitch is then approached by FBI agents who inform him that, while some of BLNL's business is legitimate, their biggest client, client is the Marolto Mafia family from Chicago. The firm's partners, as well as most of the associates, are all complicit in a massive tax fraud and money laundering scheme. The two associates who most recently died had learned about the firm's dark side and were killed to keep them from talking, while Lomax was killed for asking questions. The FBI agents warn Mitch that his house, car, and office have probably all been bugged. The FBI pressures Mitch to provide the Bureau with evidence they can use to go after the Moraltos and bring down BLNL. I remember so little of what happened <laughs> in the section from scene to scene. I think this is where I started to fall asleep because I realized we still had like an hour left in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the wild thing, the mob apparently still exists, which I mean, really doesn't surprise me that much, but I don't know. Like, what what do they do now? What are they involved in? I, don't know, I guess I'm talking real life these days. Money laundering, question. apparently. Like, like the guy that is speculated to have been involved in some sort of strangling of Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Tartaglione, he's he's in jail for being a mob hitman. Well, yeah, but I'm like, sure the mob's still out there. They're just not as open about murder as they were back in the... You say that, but this guy's in jail This guy's in jail for literally murdering four people and burying them in his backyard. And we, this guy we, was in yeah, jail from the, a few years not, ago. But they're not <laughs> robbing banks and killing people with Tommy guns anymore. I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, so I watched this other TV series also by David <laughs> oh Chase. My who does the wire, rather right? be talking it's about. It's called The Deuce. It's really good. Uh-huh. And I assume that it's 100% true to life. And it's about the porn industry and the sex work industry becoming big in the 70s, right? And uh, once they got towards like the end of the 70s, it seemed like they were being heavily bankrolled by organized crime. So maybe that's still the case. Maybe a lot of like sex work and... 
Yeah. I don't know why porn would be because porn's not sure. really illegal anymore. Well, and then like a lot Probably of the good business for them. A lot of at least the original owners for a lot of the casinos in Vegas were mob owned. Probably still owned by some of the same people. Yeah. But it does seem like in like the Godfather movies, you know, there's a lot going on with like protection money and stuff, and you can't. I can't imagine that happening in 2019. He's having an Italian guy come in and extort you for protection money. He'll be like, I'll, just call yeah. the, I'll call the FBI. They'll be all over <laughs> you. They're already listening to all your phone calls and mine and all of ours. Hmm. And this podcast. <laughs> I know oh, those are our other guy. listeners. <laughs> yeah, those are the <laughs> other. Well, I, think, I think I've narrowed it down. It's got to be three or four listeners. So mm-hmm. shout out to you guys out there in Thanks. Budapest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but about this movie, I, I don't know if there's much else to say here. We've kind of already covered it. Yeah. Okay. There, so. He's, he's going to get he's going to get murdered if he leaves uh, if he leaves the firm for whatever reason because they feel like that's necessary. And the FBI is trying to get him to to jump ship. Oh yeah, and the FBI, which they're played by Ed Harris. The, this is played in also in like just the. God, I love this dog. This is this is a great this is a great movie for both mob and uh, like federal agency stereotypes. He has to go meet the FBI guy in a park and give like a fucking code word or some shit. Yeah, as they and he's sit Ed down Harris. at as they sit down at a bench. <laughs> Ed has, Ed Harris. I assume Ed Harris is every angry FBI agent trying to get people to flip on the mafia. Yeah. Um, so speaking of which, doesn't he have, doesn't, maybe this is in the recap, I wasn't really listening, full disclosure. Uh-huh. Um, isn't there uh, something in this section where at first your thought is like, yeah, go with the FBI, that seems way better than this horrible mafia thing that you're doing. Sure. Uh, but doesn't he get turned on to the fact pretty quickly that that might also get him killed? I forget who tells him, maybe the private investigator is... Well, okay. or something. so so like don't work with the FBI because they're not going to protect you very well and you're going to get killed. Yeah, and I mean part of that's just the FBI's witness protection program is way worse at protecting people than the mob has historically been at finding and killing people who I are in the FBI the witness. Pro- yes, but sometimes <laughs> it's not because they like tracked you down; it's just because they were taking their daughter on a college visit and then they saw you, and then they spend the whole video being like, "Should I murder this guy on my daughter's college visit?" Yeah, or and eventually they do. Or sometimes it's because they see you on TV. That you broke out of a local jail or no they see you on tv working at a uh go-kart course um so this is for the brooklyn yeah, wait, 99 which one is this oh okay <laughs> is this doug judy no 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 this is um, he wasn't part of the mob okay can we please talk about anything <laughs> but the firm please let me go well let's continue let me go, daddy let let me talking these, about just get these ropes about the firm in. they're tied so tight daddy <laughs> Mitch knows he faces a stark choice. If he works with the FBI, he believes that even if he stays alive, he will have to disclose information about the firm's legitimate clients, thus breaking the attorney-client privilege and risking disbarment. However, the FBI warns him that if he stays with the firm, he will almost certainly go to jail when the FBI takes down both the firm and the Moraltos. Either way, his life as he knows it is over, and he agrees to cooperate with the FBI in return for $1.5 million and the release of his imprisoned brother Ray in Arkansas. The FBI, FBI released Ray, but plan to return him to the Slammer once Mitch hands the feds the files. They also give him half the money before they receive the files. Meanwhile, Mitch confesses to Abby about his one-night stand in the Caymans, and she separates herself from him, eventually deciding to leave Memphis. Okay, first of all, you, you, you can't really 
get arrested for being someone's attorneys. Now, clearly the firm's engaged in some other, we'll call them dubious legal practices, uh, such as blowing up their employees who want to leave. But, like, I mean, all right, so let me... Can't you just kind of, like, say that working with the firm makes you culpable and... Not, not necessarily. I mean, like, everyone is entitled to an attorney for various things, and attorneys legally actually aren't allowed to speak on people's shit, on their clients' shit. Like, that's that's the whole attorney-client privilege deal. So, there's this other TV show that I watch, right? <laughs> God damn it. It's <laughs> called The Sons of Anarchy. Uh-huh. And they're always trying to pin The Sons of Anarchy down on some things. And... Brought up in those conversations, they talk a lot about RICO, and I don't know exactly what it is or how it works, but apparently, if you charge people under RICO, which is whatever law it is, um, which is usually how they go after organized crime, um, if you implicate one person in the organization, you implicate like everybody in the organization, yeah. and it becomes a lot easier to like charge lots of people with lots of shit without having to prove it all individually yeah, it's, or it's, something like that. It's what, uh, they, it's what they did. In, so maybe it's something actually, like that. They also did that in the, in the Dark Knight. With Harvey Dent, they got the entire mob out of Gotham with Rico case, and it it didn't keep the big guys off the streets because they could just buy their way out. But it got all the like low go- low level guys off the streets, right? So I mean, I, I could see it is with like the firm in general. I could see it being um, being obviously an issue of well, the firm is starting to kill people who are trying to leave, um, or if they're like the obvious breaches, like the one that. Tom's character points out later on with the mail fraud or mm. well, it's not mail fraud. It's no, it is mail fraud. It's technically mail fraud, but it's like editing their bills or something. Yeah. So this, this says Rico. overcharging Rico is the racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act. Um, and it basically says that it, you know, helps you get around, you know, loopholes about like you just instructed someone to do something and you didn't actually commit the crime. Um, there's a big list of all these organizations that have been charged under it, and hilariously, one of them is Key West Florida Police Department. Nice. <laughs> and it says, around June 1984, the Key West Police Department in Monroe County, Florida, was declared a criminal enterprise under the federal <laughs> RICO statutes. <laughs> and the Department of Justice, I guess, just went in and uh, prosecuted a bunch of people for stuff. So, oh, good. I don't know. I assume RICO's involved in that somehow. I also saw Major League Baseball on there. Uh, nice. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to keep looking through this. There's probably some more gems here. You guys just do the podcast without me. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. I guess we keep going. Could have really anything else quickly. on that? On that <laughs> have anything else on that section? Uh, no. Cool. Uh, desperate to find a way out of his predicament, Mitch inadvertently stumbles on a solution when one of his clients complains that he was billed for extra several hours of fees as part of the firm's money laundering services for the Moraltos. Mailing these padded bills to the firm's clients is considered to be mail fraud, which would expose the firm to RICO charges. Mitch begins secretly copying the firm's billing records with help from Lomax's secretary, Tammy, but they need files in Tolar's Cayman house. Meanwhile, Tolar visits Abby at her job to say goodbye and invites her to come with him to the Caymans. Abby declines, but Tolar reveals his work schedule has changed, thus threatening Mitch's plans. After telling Tammy not to inform Mitch, Abby flies to the Caymans to seduce and drug Tolar. The firm's phone tap picks up Abby's warning to Tammy, and Devasher sends his hitmen to the Caymans. After Abby and Tammy steal client files from Tolar's house, a drowsy Tolar warns Abby to leave immediately. Tolar is killed by the hitmen. So, 
in this whole section of the movie, it seemed like so much is happening so quickly, but it still manages to drag on. I really don't understand how. This is just like, the, this is just a section where Gene Hackman's acting super creepy. It's he just, was being well, yeah, he was just trying really hard to bang Tom Cruise's wife in this movie. Yeah, he wants to make it right. He knows what happened. He knows what happened in Key West or wherever they Cayman. were. Cayman, Grand yeah, Cayman. You're thinking of Key West, the criminal organization. <laughs> Key West Police Department, yes. Uh, much like the it's Los Angeles Police Department and FIFA <laughs> included in this article with the Gambino crime family. In, well, okay, uh, FIFA's obvious. that have been charged under RICO. Uh, yeah, wasn't there a big FIFA scandal or something? Yeah. yeah. Probably okay. a few at this point. But, yeah, no, like th- this whole section, there seemed to be a whole lot going on, and it's still dragged mm. and i i don't even know if i could describe why i think this is around when i started falling asleep yeah yeah maybe <laughs> maybe maybe maybe, it's, maybe it was just like there's too much and it's all disconnected and they really didn't do a whole lot to make you care about the characters i mean if, i don't know if i if i was falling asleep during this movie but i stayed awake for endless love and uh losing it could it be argued that those were better movies because they kept me more no. engaged? It could be argued that those are shorter movies. Well, I think. Well, okay, Endless Love, maybe not. I, That's you weird. Could yeah. Maybe argue that they're better movies. Certainly, they're movies that you like more, maybe. Or maybe not. I don't know. I didn't like any of these movies. Yeah. Well, but you famously love Endless Love so much. <laughs> Do I? Or what did I say? That was the worst Tom Cruise movie ever made. Yeah, have you seen Cocktail, though? Love. I enjoyed Cocktail. Right, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, like I said, ever since I saw this movie, cocktail called... was good to me. Okay. Did I do uh, it right? Yeah. No, that's a fair statement. Kaufman's Law. I liked cocktails. Like that's those are or whatever that the fuck statements. his name was. Um. Who? What? what Kaufman's Law. Oh, okay. Let's not even think about that. My life is a sham. <laughs> So, when I watch movies, I'm going to try to put forth a case here for why I hated this movie. Okay. Uh, When I watch movies, there are kind of like four core emotions that I'm looking for to be enjoying myself. And a movie can be like insightful and have something interesting to say about the world. Or it can just be funny, right? It can just be like a Mm -hmm. good comedy. Uh, Or it can be exciting in some way, which is probably what this one should have done. And there's a fourth one that I'm not remembering right now. Well, are there any big emotions I've left out? Heartwarming. It can be heartwarming. Okay. You know, right. it can just be like a feel-good, gooey movie. So I feel like this should have gone uh, for exciting. And there's so much shit that's just, it's just plot movements, but there's no, like, suspense about what's going to happen next. You know? And I think part of that is that they introduce the criminality so early on, and then it takes a long time for a lot of the other characters to kind of figure out that Tom Cruise is working against them. So there's no, like... There's not a lot of, like, push and pull here as to, like, he has to maneuver, you know, and do interesting things. He's not having, like, a battle of wits with Gene Hackman's character. Or oh, but there's that creepy albino dude who, who killed, uh... <laughs> there's an albino dude in this movie? <laughs> one, of, one of the hitmen is albino. Yes. It's played by, uh... Oh, I do remember that the now. played by the guy who plays Jigsaw and Saw. I can't yeah, remember he killed Gary Busey's character. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, whatever that actor's name is. But anyways... 
Well, okay, Mitch's plans are <laughs> jeopardized when a prison guard on the Moralto's payroll alerts to Vasher after Mitch's brother, Ray, is transferred to FBI custody without the usual formalities being followed. Evading DeVasher and his thugs, Mitch meets with the Moralto brothers and, presenting himself as a loyal attorney looking out for his client's best interest, tells him that his contact with the FBI, or tells him that his contact, that doesn't make sense. Tells him, tells him that he is in contact with the FBI is maybe what Do they meant. Do you not understand no, 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 no. the recap that we all collaborated to write together ourselves? He, he's talking about the things that he's doing. Whatever. So like, tells him that his contact with the FBI and his copying of the firm's files were merely an attempt to expose the firm's illegal overbilling. Mitch asks the Moraltos for permission to turn over their billing invoices in order to help the FBI make their case against the firm. He reveals that he has made his own copies of the files, but assures them that as long as he is alive, any other information he knows about their legal affairs is covered under attorney-client privilege and will never be revealed. Convinced thus, the Moraltos agree to guarantee Mitch's safety and let him give the FBI all the evidence it needs to prosecute the firm. Since the attorney-client privilege doesn't apply when a lawyer knows about ongoing criminal activity, Mitch is able to keep his status as a lawyer. The film ends as the McDeers leave their house in Memphis and return to Boston, driving the same well-used car, an early 1980s Toyota Supra, in which they arrived in Memphis. So, I, I just want to say here at this point, I I completely forgot until it was mentioned here that the subplot with his brother even existed hmm. until, like, just now. Yes. Uh, I can see how the book would be good, but I can, like, this would be much better as a book. There's too much going on. Yeah, the the book it's just the nature of the different mediums. You can yeah. you can go a lot more in detail about smaller things in books where in movies that just kind of box it however down. long you fucking want. I mean technically you can do movies too. They already made they already made this movie two and a half hours and yeah. I feel like nothing really happened. Yeah. I feel like in books a lot of times I mean, you know, one thing you can do that you can't do in movies as much as you can have the inner monologue of a character. Mm -hmm. And so that is probably suitable for these kind of things where you're like, you have a smart character and he's trying to think through all of his options and what'll work and what won't. And you just never get that in this movie. He never really has anybody that he like really charts out all his plans with. You're just like watching Tom Cruise do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what they could have done to solve that? They could have shown his inner monologue the same way that say, the Sherlock Holmes movies show Sherlock's uh, little inner monologue when he's fighting people or whatever. I don't, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's lots Hot of ways. take. You <laughs> those can, are not good movies. You can. Ooh, you, wow. You, those are Guy Ritchie's you, yeah. only good movies. Okay. You both. <laughs> oh, Guy Ritchie, an apology. Uh, you know what? Guy I, Ritchie's really good at movies that aren't about Sherlock Holmes. I feel like... I might not like those movies if I watch them again today, but I enjoyed them at the time. Um, those movies are good to me. Um, <laughs> Is that where we're going to have to start doing that? <laughs> no. We, this don't, movie was we great don't have to, to do me. that. Face Off when was we're good breaking it to apart. me. Yeah. Okay. I understand, <laughs> to me. Look, I understand that nobody talks that way, but just when we're sitting it down and breaking it apart, that's what literally is happening. Anyway, um, I don't fucking remember what I was going to talk about. Oh, no. So another way you can do it is you can like outsource it to another character, right? So like if you had, if you were seeing a character that he was working against and you know you can like 
go to their different points of view and see what they're doing to work against each other. Or uh, you can have him, you know, in The Godfather. He's talking to advisors about what he's going to do next. Or in the, the, what was that Anthony Hopkins movie we just talked about? I don't remember anything. Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Lambs. There we go. That's the whole yeah. point of the Anthony Hopkins character, right? Is she goes to him to talk out what they're going to do. And, you know, they're plotting, trying to catch this person. Like, there's a lot of ways that you could externalize that. And they just didn't do it in this movie. They just had a lot of plot points that happened and you were never quite sure if tom cruise was planning ahead or if we really yeah, knew what he was doing ass- you had to assume well, the internal there's, monologue there's there. an interesting yeah, exactly. there's an interesting like give and take with that too because at the same time like a big part of the book that i remember was that mitch feels like he's all by himself and he's all alone and everything so yeah. if he has someone to discuss plans with that takes that away so maybe they just decided to go that direction but it just didn't work like, yeah see that's honestly would, honestly that's just the, the the some john grisham books translate better to film than others and i feel like this one is one that's just it's very hard to translate it over into a movie yeah i just feel like you would have needed to like tweak it somehow and maybe if you're going to make him feel alone then you just need like gene hackman to figure out that tom cruise is onto them a lot earlier and like put them in a room you know and see them trying to you know trying to fool each other or trying to talk around it with each other but it's just there has to be something some kind of intrigue that's happening here because it's that's the only thing that's driving this movie. It doesn't have strong characters or no. anything like that. Nope. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it. A lot of it rotates around. Um, oh, I don't remember their names. Tom Cruise, Tom's character, and his wife, Mitch and Abby. Mitch and Abby. Uh, it kind of revolves emotionally, at least, all around their relationship and the strain that's put on that whole thing from all of this. But they honestly don't even have that many scenes together once everything starts happening. Yeah. They're together a lot at the beginning and then he's at the firm all the time and they really they just have one scene where it shows that she's unhappy with how often he's at the firm, the scene where he tells her, "Hey, I cheated on you," and then the scene at the end. And that's really the only time There's a scene with her on the swing drinking. Well, <laughs> true. <laughs> I actually did kind yeah. of enjoy that scene. Yeah, I mean, it's it. It feels like some solid relations. acting there. Like I think the actors are all doing as much as they can with all that material. I mean, there were pretty pretty solid actors all the way around. It's just, yeah, was not a compelling movie. Yeah, it really wasn't. Pacing issues. We'll, we'll call it that. Pacing issues. Yeah, I feel like the relationship stuff. Like they even just had that. It felt like it was just like one more thing on his plate, like something you put there because you felt like it had to be there, and mm-hmm. it wasn't. It didn't really wrap in the movie in an integral. Like it kind yeah, of did because she mean, went there. That that is a major. At the end, but yeah, I mean that is a very major thing in the book as well. It's the strain that the firm puts on his marriage. But once again, in a book, you can really internalize with Mitch and mm-hmm. you know understand his struggles and everything. That's harder to do in a movie, especially in a movie where you're going to drag out parts that don't need to be dragged out, and as a result, can't put in other stuff. Yeah. Yep. Oh, but what about that? Uh... What about that thrilling chase scene where? Uh, oh, you mean where the, the hitmen are trying to yeah, trying the, to chase him down? The thirty-minute scene on a monorail or whatever. Yeah, the thirty-minute scene where they're just running around the monorail. You uh-huh. could have cut that down and put in some more plot. No, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't even exciting. <laughs> they were riding on a monorail and they looked, and he's like, "Oh, he's on that monorail. Let's get on the next one, and we'll catch up with the monorail." Later. <laughs> That's why I hate chase scenes, because a lot of times they're boring. It's another one of those things where it's just like, we should have a chase scene, and it goes on for a while, but maybe it's not fun. I don't know. I did enjoy near the end of it when he just dropped from the ceiling onto Wilford Brimley. (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember that. 
So what's uh? Well, uh yeah. What uh, I, I know, there's more to our recap here, but emotionally, I'm done with this. Uh, that no, we, 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 we finished, we finished oh, the recap. Okay, great. Uh, really, that was the whole thing. So yes. whatever you oh, missed, cool. Throw it uh, in now. So the mail fraud was weird. Um, I felt like they could have introduced that in a cooler way. It was just like a client called him to tell him that they were committing mail fraud. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I could use that later. <laughs> uh, it would have been nice to see Tom Cruise, like, figure that out, you know? Um, also, I feel like there, I don't know, what's the good version of this movie? What, is there, like, a good the legal book. thriller out? What's the close? Okay, the book. <laughs> All right. What's the, what are movies, like, in this vein that do it a little better than this? Because there's potential here, right? Yeah. Um, I don't really watch a lot of legal thrillers. Uh, well, I'm just trying to think of a movie that's. I hear the Pelican Brief is good. Kind also of also a John Grissom book. Kind of along similar lines, though, and I just. Twelve Angry Men, which is completely different, but also a legal thriller. I don't know. <laughs> that's what I want out of my legal thriller. I want people either sitting in a room around a table or looking through papers, trying to figure something out. I'm trying to figure out what happened. You know, that's fun. I like to it's, see the process. It's the, it's the uh, good uh, version. Investigation. Shin happening. Godzilla. That's the good version of this movie. Sorry, what were you saying, Donovan? <laughs> Let's get say, to your if, opinion. Okay, hang on. Po- is it possible that garbage? The, is it possible okay, first that the? Of all, is it possible that the good bad Godzilla is only good Godzilla? Is it possible that the good version of this movie is a few good men? Mm, it's <laughs> not really the same thing, though. Did and you turn one of us down and not turn us back up. I think I he, was my, he was miming mean, turning oh, down Mason yeah. because I was right. trying to say something and he was acting like he was going to interrupt okay. me again. I was like, "Are you just going to leave him off?" That's so, so, a dick move. <laughs> so, so I, I know, I know, I was being very jokey with that, but that's no, okay. I don't even really know what you're talking about. No, I know that, that that's fair. It's the most recent Japanese Godzilla movie, but okay. but like the, the the interesting thing about that one is it is actually mostly people sitting in a room talking about what they're going to do about this it, it's essentially treating oh. this monster attack like it's it's like a whole bureaucratic process it's like the dune version of godzilla kind of yeah but yeah. it's, it's oh, done no. dune's the good version of this movie yes. go watch the dune movie everybody it's great <laughs> anyway it's the, not good the, the the movie's done really well and i would suggest uh, watching it is that already out I mean, no no like, oh, sorry not not talking about dune no, oh still, okay. still on the godzilla yeah, movie. don't watch dune the godzilla one yeah probably the japanese godzilla ones are fine is dune but, already out is there's that David Lynch version made oh, in the eighties? Not the or new something. one. Yeah, not the okay. new one. But no, like they do a good job of you know talking through this problem and like arguing through this problem. And obviously, the problem is a giant monster, so it's more ridiculous than this kind of like legal, legal jargony thing. Maybe that's what makes it more compelling. Yeah, but, no, that or you know, in a few good men, like the parts that are interesting to me mm-hmm. are when they're investigating to figure out what's happening, when they're planning their courtroom strategy, and then when they are having these adversarial moments arguing with each other in court. Right? It's all about yeah. trying to watch people figure things out or outmaneuver each other. And there's very little of that in this movie. Hmm. Like it's almost posed as like I don't want to see an action movie because there's not like a lot of action, but it's right. a lot of what he's doing to solve the problem is just running away from stuff. Well, yeah, there's a lot of like, I'm just thinking more that there's, um, there seems to be a lot more in like a few good men, almost direct conflict in the things that they're talking about, direct confrontation on a lot of things. Whereas this is all very, it's like almost trying to show people like going around each other. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. But like, it, it, it avoids a lot of the, a lot of a lot more of the conflict like i think one of the ten, one of the more tense moments in the whole movie is when they're in the uh they're in the room in grand cayman 
and he's like trying to sneak looks at uh, at some of the files while while uh, what's his name mentor dude is in- Gene Hackman Gene Hackman Avery Tolar yes oh that that's not a name uh, it is hello Gene- <laughs> I am Avery Tolar <laughs> well Gene Hackman is like finishing up his shower or whatever the fuck he's doing yeah which that like, was good that was a tense moment or like it was there's something else this might have been that same scene that you were talking about where he was like in a closet yeah, trying to look for some files or something and you have a moment afterwards where you're like it seems like he left some evidence and maybe gene hackman saw what he was doing or maybe he didn't yeah he yeah, like nothing he, like, came out of that at all he, he like broke spilled a glass a, yeah he, he like broke a glass of beer or whatever and there uh-huh. was like a puddle leaking out from under the door yeah, yeah so so i went like they didn't even really resolve it like that. They know? didn't even really resolve it like, oh yeah, he like go, cuts back and oh, it's all gone. He managed to clean it up real quick. Or I guess the other way they could have resolved it is Gene Hackman sees, oh, clearly he was in here. But mm-hmm. there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no payoff to that scene. But it is yeah. a nice tense moment. Yeah. Yep. yep. More of that stuff, or even if you just had like a more of like an Ocean's Eleven style thing, you know, where you're just you're sort of like seeing his caper happening, but you're not quite sure what it's all adding up to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Ocean's Eleven exactly is the right, you know, thing thing to that. But if he has like this clear goal, like oh, I need to take this file and you know copy it and go through these sequence of actions, and you're watching him do these things, and you're just not sure why he's doing those things, which is what I thought was happening at part of the movie, but then it falls apart really quickly. And then he's just like running from place to place, mm-hmm. trying not to get murdered by Wilford Burnley. By an albino. And Wilford Burnley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this is bad. Would not recommend. <laughs> Three out of ten. Technically better than Endless Love. I would say there are things you can find to enjoy in this movie, but it's it's rough. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about some fun facts and background info on The Firm. All right, so despite our opinion of this movie, a very successful movie, $42 million, $270.2 million at the box office. It was the third highest grossing film of 1993. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, also, relatively successful book. John Grisham's a yeah. well-known author, and Tom Cruise is a well-known sexy man. Well, that, that explains the box office. Let's see if we can explain this. A critical reception, 75% of critics enjoyed this movie, 64% publicly. It's cerebral. It's not good. It's not good. Critics are wrong. It's not cerebral. That's my problem with it. Uh, there are no stunts for him to do in this boring ass movie, but there is a lot of running. A lot of running. A lot of yeah. a lot of unnecessary running. What about when he's in the ceiling before he jumps on the roof? <laughs> Actually, plane? there is that thing that I don't remember at all. <laughs> if I cannot confirm that Tom Cruise did a stunt, I assume he did not do it because he's very okay. open about his crazy stunts. That's is fair. is legal reasoning a stunt? No, is persuasive no, it is argument. I'm a, a I'm a li- okay. I'm a little <laughs> okay. upset that you've stolen my bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Andrew, I think you have some terribly <laughs> named segment that you want to do. Uh, yeah, okay, so this is the part of the podcast where we all wag our fingers at all the ladies out there, <laughs> and we, the three white guys, we tell you what's up, ladies, so you shush, you shush. <laughs> oh my god, okay. you're making it so much worse. <laughs> this is way, I'm right. just, I'm just, right. I like movie analysis, right? Uh, yeah. And then I like all the Bechtel tests and things, and then I like checklists. Yeah, but you don't have to frame it so like that. Do it. But I just want to be self-aware about the fact that we don't have any women on this podcast. Yeah, and it feels weird. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, that's that's fair. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go through all of our little uh, checklists of things that we look at to see if there were well-written uh, women in this movie. Were there two women in this movie? Yes. yes. Were they named? Yes. yes. Did they talk to each other? Yes. yes. Did they? Uh, yeah, they when? about something not directly related they, to a man. They talked about, about getting about the man. files and about it was how Tammy and Abby they how... teamed up and to get the files. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, they did. And that wasn't that. Oh I was to, it was to help out Mitch, but it wasn't directly. And there are actually at least three named women because the, there's also the uh, the wife of one of the other. I don't there's, remember her like name. There's a couple, a couple names. of named wives. Of um, other, yeah. And they, they talk about kind of, you know, family. life with the firm and yeah. family and all that. Exactly. So. Yeah, Lamar's Lamar's wife, mm-hmm. the younger the younger uh, attorney that he yeah. kind of is friends with for a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, so there you um, go. It yeah, passes the Bechdel test. Actually, p- pretty, like, not even squeaking why. It just straight up passes yeah, the Bechdel it passes test. It. So. Also, nice. it passes the sexy lamp test, I think, right? Yeah. Because they're more than sexy lamps because they got the files. Yeah, mm-hmm. they actually had, like, and a side plot that helped out the well, and character. And his, his wife especially, like, took her own initiative without prodding from him That's to when go she, like, and do... she, went to the Grand Cayman Islands, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it passes the Makamori test, though. I don't, I think don't really does. think she had her own arc. At least not her own arc, independent of a man. Yeah. Yeah, she may have, like, sort of a mark, or an arc with their marriage, sort of. I don't know that it's really, a, like, a character arc. Yeah, but, but re- even really, then, it's really, all about even, them even, trusting each other. Even, yeah. like, the stuff she does later in the movie is really based around him and helping him out. And Holly and, Hunter's character also very much only ties gets involved into because of his legal stuff that she only because she loved out. Gary Busey I guess because who Gary wouldn't Busey. love Gary Busey I don't love Gary Busey <laughs> contrary to the words that I just said a few seconds ago um, so Makamori no oh, that's still pretty good though two out of three for this movie that's yeah. still pretty solid that is pretty yeah. good uh, especially also, considering the history we've got so far on a lot of these and honestly like it might be our best performing movie so far no we did we did have one I, I believe far and away oh. past all three yeah there's a bunch that I haven't marked on the spreadsheet yet so yeah we'll I, I believe I believe far and away past all three so okay. yeah, the way. she did have a little art, didn't she? Yeah, because she, she had her own story outside of Tom Cruise. Yeah, I say, oh, she did have a little art, didn't she? <laughs> oh, good for her, <laughs> little lady. Uh, wow. That's why I say that's definitely the beginning of the segment, because, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not necessarily the person who would yeah. who would be evaluating all this. And I mean, I guess the Makamori. But we are. I guess the Makamori Because it's only us. <laughs> I know. Three white guys. That's how you know it's a unique podcast, because it's three. Okay, I was listening to a completely unrelated podcast today, and the guy was talking about trying to start a podcast. He's like, you know what I found out is that nobody wants to listen if it's just two or three white guys talking about stuff. Oh. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, this is never going to work. That's why we only have five listens on our last episode. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, you know, in a movie where... There's clearly a main character, and that male character just so happens to be a guy. Maybe the Makamori test is not really as important to pass, I guess. I'm not saying this is a good movie, but like, if a movie didn't pass the Makamori and pass the other two, I think it could still be a solid movie that still had 
decent female representation, even if they're only in the movie connected to the main character's story. Yeah, I mean, I'll say again, and like, I don't necessarily think that these tests are like a referendum on the quality of the movie. It's about I, a pattern, right? Like, yeah, and and well, yeah, I mean, the partially uh, about the pattern, like, you know, so often if there is one main character, it is the man, right? Mm-hmm. But then also, I think, especially with the Makomori and the sexy lamp test, I usually think of those as like, you're not bad if you fail those, but usually your movie would be better if you didn't fail those, right? So yeah. if the wife had stuff to do and was an important character who had her own arc. I think that would improve the movie. If they talked more about her career, it was garbage. Yeah. Well, if it talked more about maybe like her own career alongside it, because it actually seemed like it could have been a conflict early on when they're talking about the firm and how the firm wants her to settle down. Yeah. There there could have been a conflict there and an arc there that I mean, I guess was still related to him because it's related to his life at the firm, but it's, but yeah, it could be related to like her vision of like what my life is going to be. Yeah. You well, know, I have this arc where I'm having to cope with like, am I just going to be a lawyer's wife? Because that's right. what this firm wants me to be. Or right. See, I've, I've I've been thinking about these tests a lot, and I've been thinking about movies that I think are very well done and well made. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like the one test you need to pass to be a good movie is the sexy lamp test. Your female characters cannot just be there as sexy lamps. Yeah. I feel like that's not a good movie. But I'm thinking of like like Before Sunrise is a very well done movie that a lot of people really love. And I think the only one it passes is the sexy lamp test. Because it's really just a guy and a girl walking around talking to each other and it's based around their relationship, so it doesn't pass the Makomori test. She doesn't have her own arc outside of him. It's just them together the whole time. And there's only really two characters talking, so it's not going to pass the Bechdel test either. That's still a very well-made movie, but she's not a sexy lamp. She is a fleshed-out character. So Yeah, I, I, I agree that the I think the sexy lamp test... What a well-named test. <laughs> I think the sexy lamp test is the best one for commenting on the individual quality of the movie. Mm-hmm. At I, least individual quality of the writing and the characters. Right, exactly. Which ultimately reflects on the movie in general. Yeah, yeah. That's usually... I think that that one's the most effective if you're just looking at the movie in isolation, whereas the other two are more useful as trends. Mm-hmm. And I always talk to people, or I, I always talk to people, uh, I talk to my one coworker <laughs> about movies. I, I, I always <laughs> mention to him, like, you know, to me, representation of movies is cool. And I, I list an example of, like, you know, Black Panther, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, this is a really, you know, cool story that's like by a a black director and it has a bunch of black characters and it's a story that you wouldn't get if you were pushing that representation out of hollywood Mm -hmm. and so that's why i think i like to think about things like the bechdel test because i'm just like man if you're not including women characters in your movie and you're not giving them stuff to do then you're missing out on a lot of cool and interesting stories that could make a billion dollars worldwide because people want these stories but you're just not making it because hollywood is just made up of people who have this as as a blind spot so that's Mm kind of what i think of those as you know Mm -hmm. make more mama mia movies is what i'm saying (laughs) oh my god well yeah okay sure or gloria also a good movie well okay you want to do your little your other thing no i don't want to do the mice question anymore Um, okay it's a fun thing to I don't really think it's that interesting to talk about. Well, okay. That's fair. fair enough. It's a cool tool for movie analysis, but... Well, I don't have much trivia on this movie, but I have a few. Uh, Holly Hunter is on screen for a total of 5 minutes and 59 seconds, and uh, she actually had an Oscar nomination for this movie. It's one of the shortest performances ever nominated for an Oscar. She is in 20 separate scenes for an average of 18 seconds per scene. She got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for this. 
18 seconds on average. That's that's a little wild. Uh, she was very good. Yeah. I mean, Holly Hunter's a very good actress, but she, yeah, she is in this movie a very small amount. And, and, and yet, like, thinking back in the movie, I seem to remember her more, and I think that's just generally because of I mean, the role she played and her, the performance that she gave. Yeah, she also mm-hmm. really, what, what she was in the movie for the interesting and heavy quotation marks part of the movie i guess when the, sure. when everything was all the shit was hitting the fan and everything so mm-hmm. i guess she was in the more interesting part of the movie i guess but yeah if there was such a thing in this really boring movie but there anyways. wasn't uh okay uh gene hackman's contract called for his name to come before the title in all promotional materials tom cruise's contract called for his name and his name only to come before the title in all promotional materials so Hackman opted to leave his name off all promotional materials, making his presence a surprise to most audiences. In the film, Hackman's name comes after Cruise, Cruises and before the title. And Jason Statham had a writer in his contract that he can't lose any fights in this movie. Fun fact. That's actually every single actor in the Fast and Furious series. Is it has really that every yeah. single one? Yeah, of yeah them? they cannot lose a fight. Oh man, there's a rumor on uh, Andromeda. No, I don't know if you guys ever watched that great Kevin Sorbo science fiction series that was short lived for some reason. Uh, and he, <laughs> uh, supposedly had something in there where he's like, "I'm the captain, so nobody should ever explain something to me," and it just makes the plot really weird. And I feel like not being able to lose a fight would also, yeah, ha- you'd have to write a really weird plot around. I feel that. like that you just well, have to lose interest in every fight halfway through. Well, hey, you know what? Now Kevin Sorbo's on to bigger and better things, like being in a oh, what's I don't even remember what it's called. It's, it's a new movie where he fights Antifa. It's great. God is dead. No, God's maybe dead. <laughs> uh, so basically, what, so basically, what he's saying is he's the boss. So therefore, he knows more than everybody else. Yes. <gasps> Wait, he was the boss, not Angela. <laughs> uh, this the bad Reliant shit trailer. Oh, yeah, The Reliant. Yeah, The Reliant. That's that's the name of the movie. It's based on a book. Well, moving on with the trivia. Uh, Wait, can we watch this <laughs> no. trailer? Uh, in a minute. The, the film's yeah, original... do it anyway. The film's original ending in the novel has Mitch racing to the Peabody Hotel where the Meraltos were staying, as in the film. But Mitch is killed for betraying the firm in fears that he would tell the FBI everything about their dealings. This was changed when Tom Cruise was signed to star in the picture, in which Paramount Pictures also felt that after two hours, you can't have the star of the film die on screen after his ordeal. Author John Grisham agreed to change the film's downbeat ending to a more satisfactory one, where Cruise lives with an uncertain future as he returns back home to Boston. Okay, so he gets like he goes and tells the Moraltos these things, and they just kill him anyway. Yes, that is how the that is how the novel ends. But because Tom Cruise signed on, they're like, eh, he lives happy ending for Tom Cruise. I Tom guess, Cruise can't die. I kind of like that ending though. That might that might have been you a like better the, ending. The novel ending better. Yeah, the one where he actually gets killed. I feel like that changes the whole thing, right? It's yeah. just like a. You, you, it's a very you, fatalistic, like yeah. tragic movie. Mm-hmm. You came you're up with this whole clever fail. scheme, and you're like, "Oh, come on, this has got to work. This has got to work." And then and the firm wins did. in the and end. They're like, "No, we're the mafia. We're just gonna kill you. Hey, we we're the mob. Kill people. I got a gun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to any Italian American listeners that we have out there, but I'm not <laughs> this, apologizing to New Jersey. This is not <laughs> what I'm like in real life. Yeah, you Guido's kind of go." <laughs> No. Okay. No, I'm not going <laughs> to no. finish that sentence. Hey, I'm hey. not cutting that out. <laughs> no, come on. Please. <laughs> when he said Guido, he was referring to the pimp from Risky Business. Yes. Right. I'm going back <laughs> to watching the Santifa trailer. Eerily prophetic, Charity J. How do they know it's prophetic? 
Well, it's about stuff that hasn't happened yet. Do y'all have anything else about this movie? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> I don't well, know what else we could possibly say. Well, all right. I'm Donovan Bruce, and uh, that's all we've got on The Firm. So join us next time when we watch Interview with the Vampire. <gasps> <gasps> Interview with the Vampire. Uh, I do think I am going to like that one. <laughs> uh, check out our letterbox, all that jazz. <laughs> uh, yeah go to our website it's gcatsmedia.com g is in g spot catsmedia.com <laughs> one more time that's gcatsmedia.com and uh find us on facebook and twitter our twitter handle is at cruisinitpod that's at c-r-u-i-s-i-n-i-t-p-o-d please and thanks and you've been listening to cruising it can i cut in for a second okay here? go ahead <laughs> that, i'm watching this antifa trailer right oh go my look god kevin zorbo google the reliance it's Watch called the, the reliance it is it, it's batshit <laughs> two two of the quotes so far have been about the script the most gripping and compelling script i've read in a long time ben and b the next noted like, noted hollywood insider benjamin b <laughs> i had to keep turning the page to see what happened d self <laughs> total real person d self <laughs> anyway sorry Go on. Do your thing. You've been listening to Cruising It. Yeah, so you have to you have to say, you know, why you think something's good. And if it's because it's absurd, then some people are going to know, okay, that's not for me. Yeah. But then Unless it's Olympus has fallen. Just say something is a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> well, j- just don't listen to anything Mason says. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> it's going to be a rough podcast because <laughs> because it's it's really it's it's like bordering on impossible to tell whether or not Mason is serious when he says certain things do it say the thing (laughs) (laughs) say it do the thing where you argue but also prove the point (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna say that's fair (laughs) he did it he rope-a-doped us